If you have a brain, you have bias. So let's just own it. Some biases help us by simplifying our decision-making process. Other biases hold us back by impacting who gets hired and promoted, and even who we approach to be our friends. Welcome to Breaking the Bias, a podcast where we interview impact makers who are breaking the bias when it comes to inclusion and equity, because sharing our stories is how real belonging happens. Sometimes it just blows my mind, specifically men. And I'm going to hopefully speak to the men who are listening to this. And I see it in my own friends, right? You stand on the altar, you marry somebody, and then for some reason you have kids and you just think like, I'm going to let this fucking person struggle. I'm going to let this person be exhausted. I'm going to let this person do everything. And life is just so much more rewarding when you do it together. I'm Holly Corbett, VP of Content for Consciously Unbiased. Father's Day is coming up soon, and I really love speaking to Michael Perry, a father of two and the founder of Maple, an app that helps take the stress out of planning and organizing your home. Michael was really candid in sharing his struggles with IVF and how his journey to becoming a father changed him. He was also really real in talking about the regrets he had as a leader at Shopify who didn't really consider caregiving duties at work because he wasn't a parent himself at the time. All of this led to Michael's transition to making normalizing caregiving his mission at Maple. Now, on to our conversation. I'm just wondering if you can give us a little bit of background about your personal journey and how becoming a father impacted you. Well, I grew up in the Bay Area. I grew up in a small town, Alameda, California. It's actually an island in the Bay Area. And, you know, my mom had me super young, which I think was very, very much a big part of who I am because we have such a close relationship my father was super young as well. My mother was a waitress. My father was a car salesman. We lived a very kind of simplistic life. Um, but my parents always did kind of two things that I think kind of shaped who I am and probably to some extent led to me starting the, the company, which was they recognized that the only actual currency that we have is family. Your net worth at the end of your life is kind of defined by how many people are around your bedside, not how much money you have in your bank account. And so family was always at the forefront growing up. I worked in family businesses growing up. I worked for my uncle's uh, video store in Alameda called Video Maniacs and then his jewelry store. And then I went and worked selling cars for my father for about seven years. And along the way, I fell in love with software and uh, decided to become an entrepreneur just like my father and my grandfather and my uncle. And I thought that my life's work was going to sit at the intersection of the two communities that I felt closest to, which is basically family and small businesses, like small family businesses. And so I went down this path of building technology that inevitably uh, a company called Kit that I built was acquired in 2016 that sent me to Shopify. And while I was at Shopify, my wife and I found out that we were not going to just be able to naturally conceive children and that we were going to have an incredibly hard road ahead of us. Ironically, as we're probably going to talk about this. Um, maybe that was the first, I guess, in hindsight, realization that the world isn't fair because my wife had to leave the workforce to focus on her personal health. And we were very fortunate financially that we could afford to go down the path of IVF. And we, had, we now have two beautiful sons by way of IVF. But when my first son was born, you know, I think that the circle of who I identified with uh, changed from you know the entrepreneurship community, small family business community, to just like 
the empathy and challenges of being a parent and that 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 was my community those were my people that i wanted to serve and so i to make a long story short i guess this is a long story long but left my <laughs> left my my really kind of in some ways dream job um to recommit my life to trying to give people the tools to do their life's work which is raise children i love that thank you for sharing you know i always thought i don't know i i didn't realize how hard it was going to be. I, I heard other people talk about parenting challenges, but I was like, you know what? I don't know what I was thinking. Didn't think it was going to be that hard. And then it, I found myself just, I felt like my life was running, running from a meeting to pick up the kids from daycare to just constant motion. So I really appreciate like what you're trying to build to help simplify parents' yeah. lives. Because I mean, Raising children is, you know, if, in perspective, it's it's hard. And it's also one of the most important jobs, right? We're raising the next generation. So giving people the tools to be able to do that is so important. So can you describe in a nutshell, like, how do you describe Maple? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what was the spark that made you get this idea to start it? Yeah, I mean, you know, first and foremost, I don't think you really know what tired is until you've had kids. I look back now and I'm like, I was, I don't even know what I used to do with free time. I don't even know what free time feels like. So I think there's an aspect of, you know, I became a father, which the moment I held my son for the first time is without a doubt, the most important moment of my life. You know, I think at the end of our lives, we look back and it's just kind of a lot of memories on repeat. And then there's like four or five things that just really stick out. You know, whether that's meeting your life partner for the first time, seeing your children get married, but for sure, holding my first son for that first time and just feeling the air escape the room probably is the most significant thing that ever happened to me in terms of like many, I spent my life trying to figure out what is my purpose here on earth and, you know, chasing careers and chasing titles and chasing money and chasing to some extent the wrong set of priorities And then I held my son and it became so clear that my only purpose was to take care of this child. Everything else was in support of that body of work. And so when I went back to Shopify, there was this sense of like almost shallow feeling of like I was dedicating my life to building tools to help people make money, which that that is a need. That's a part of, that's a fabric of society. But also as a father, I was now struggling to like keep it together. Like, I I don't think I was showing up in the right way in my marriage. I didn't know my son's doctor's appointments. I would come home and I'd be getting these random updates that I just, the whole thing felt like my wife and I's relationship of of 13 years at that point took this huge shift uh, in a beautiful kind of way, but in a very real way. And I started as a technologist, just being like, the way Shopify had made it so incredibly easy to start a business and build all the back office tools for a person to successfully compete and run a business with anybody else. I think that there has to be this conversation that there is augmentation to parenting. You know, people with a lot of resources have nannies, they have chefs, they have, there's a lot of different things that go into it for, for that audience of people. And how could we build the tools to at least bring better teamwork and collaboration and visibility and like the, the, the most simplistic frameworks and structures of tooling that we have in the workplace to do our jobs collaboratively and better? And how could I bring that into my own home to show up and be a better father and to be a better husband and a better teammate? And uh, I just didn't see anything out there like that. And so I decided to leave Shopify and start that. And you know, to answer your question, I, I would really just summarize Maple 
as the all-in-one way to simplify managing your home. Because anyone that's ran a home or manages a home, uh, whether that's the head of the household who typically identifies as mom or the right co-founding relationship that is doing it together, there is just so many moving parts that just cause so much mental fatigue and cognitive overload that we really kind of help people keep it together and keep it on the rails. Mm, Yeah, I I love that. And no one tells you these things. No one teaches you how to parent. No one teaches you how to run a household. I used to hate spreadsheets. Now I have spreadsheets for everything from like meals to like doctors. I mean, spreadsheets everywhere. So something like Maple is so nice. And I I so appreciate like even things like planning a trip to Disney on Maple. There are people who have already done it. That takes honestly weeks of research to figure Disney out. So like to have this resource is, is really, really amazing. I guess to go back, you were saying that you were having a tough time, like balancing it all. What were some of the biggest challenges and, you know, now being a parent when working full time, like what were your biggest pain points? Oh, God. I mean, you know, I think the early days, I really didn't know who to show up for. You know, there's at that time when I became a new father, my wife was still home from work. At, at that time, there was a, a, a belief that she was going to return back to the workforce and then COVID hit. And then she just she has shifted her own personal projects and priorities But at that time, I was managing like a team of like 200 people. And I had a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations. I had teams in two different countries. I was flying a lot. Um, And so there's this like, there's this responsibility to these people, uh, to the company I worked for, to my teams, to being a good leader, to being a good manager, to, you know, being in the trenches of trying to provide them with the right support and to achieve our, our, our business objectives. And then there's this whole flip side, which is like, how do you show up for your life partner and how do you prioritize that? Because you're no longer just a couple that are both working and both career oriented. You're not just coming home and having dinner together anymore. There's this new responsibility that for some very fucking, excuse my language, terrible reason. And naturally my wife just took on completely by herself. And I have my own reasons to believe that that happens, but it was clear that while my, my line of work was succeeding, my most important work at home was failing and that I was actually in some very weird way, having a very different parental experience than my wife was having. Um, And so I think the beginning, especially for new parents, it's like, how do you find the balance to be everybody's everything, which is so incredibly difficult and hard to do in creating those very strong boundaries of knowing when you have to put on different hats for me, just taking a step back and recognizing that there really should be no relationship or priority more important than my wife. Mm-hmm. from a yeah. teamwork perspective. Um, right. And I shouldn't be seeking forgiveness from her from not showing up because oftentimes I think that that's what happens is that we put it on our life partner to let us out of jail, give it, giving us a hall pass for not showing up in the right way. And so I just had like a complete framework shift at some point about you know who I was going to prioritize, who I showed up for and try to find better balance in that decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that whole idea of reprioritizing, I mean, we saw that with the great resignation and, you know, quiet quitting and people just really reprioritizing their lives in the face of this global pandemic. Um, And workplaces aren't designed for parents. They're not designed Mm. for caregivers, right? Like the U.S. is one of the only, I think it's the only industrialized nation that still doesn't have paid leave. And so, 
I'm just curious. So at, at Maple, how are you kind of creating a workplace culture that allows people to thrive both at work, at home and, and mm-hmm. take on those caregiving responsibilities? You know, first, I think it's really important to acknowledge because I just recently even publicly put out an apology that while I was a leader at Shopify for the first, I was there for four and a half years, right? So for the first three and a half and some change, almost four years, I didn't have children. And so I, in hindsight, am mortified by the lack of really, truly empathy uh, and setting false expectations for people to work all day, commute back home, be online at nighttime. You know, it's just, so I think that there's a lot of failed experiences and regretful experiences that have shaped Maple's viewpoint on setting boundaries and making sure that people are able to successfully prioritize their families. You know, when you're 30 with no kids, putting on team happy hours feels like such a great idea. You know, now at almost 37 with two small boys at five o'clock, I want to be home and having dinner with my kids. And if you are asking sadly, and again, I, I hate to just put it out there, but if you're really asking in most cases, mom has to get home from work and cook dinner and provide for those and provide for everybody in that way. And so, you know, there was a lot of bad decisions made at a leadership level in my, my past life at Maple. There's a couple of different things that I think that we uniquely do. One is that we provide, we, we operate on what we call family flexibility. And so we have a designated chunk of time, which is basically 9 a.m. PST through 1 p.m. PST, where there's an expectation that you have to be available for meetings, right? So if we need to have an all hands or a product meeting or an engineering meeting, the, the hope is that you will be there. We don't operate in a nine to four where we expect for you to be at your desk at 3, 4, 5 p.m. Because you may need to go pick up your kids from school. You may need to cook dinner. You may need to do things to fulfill the rightfully prioritized commitment you have to, to your family. And so if you need to start your workday earlier, we work asynchronously that, that way. If you need to start your workday later, we asynchronously work that way. If you need to work late at night. So really having the balance and flexibility for you to try to create the balance you need between responsibilities at home and responsibilities to your job. While we're a small company, we do offer four months of parental leave um, paid for our staff and our team, fully paid. And we actually also, as someone who went through a miscarriage, we also um, have a grievance window for people who go through some sort of miscarriage, family member death. Um, I think we offer, don't hold me to this because I might get this wrong. I can't remember if it's two weeks or a month. I believe it's two weeks that we offer kind of a grievance family grievance time to put your family first when you're going through something like that. Um, and then we've also, you know, hired part-time moms and we work with people on base, but finding the right people and trying to build the right culture uh, on hiring the best talent and trying to accommodate um, what their availability can be to work is just something that we believe is the right way of building a business in the way in 2023 for parents. Yeah. I mean, that, that idea of having like a set part of the day where everybody can come together, but then letting people work on their own schedule, I think is so important because people have all kinds of, you know, not everybody's the same, right? We're all nope. individuals, our families have individual needs, we have individual needs. So I, I love that. That's a good example of a solution. What about, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't work at companies that accommodate schedules like that and accommodate caregiving needs. What advice do you have for parents on, you know, how to protect themselves from burnout when they're waiting for company cultures to catch up or policies to catch up? I mean, it's super tough because some companies just suck. 
I mean, there's just like a reality about that. And I think that, you know, my, it's, it's super easy for me to sit here and say, go find a company that suits you best. It doesn't always work that way. You know, like my mom was a waitress for a long time. They don't give a shit that she had a small kid at home. And I don't think that restaurants in today's world do. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of pushback in today's world. The people who are benefiting from this are knowledge workers who can work remote, who, you know, are working in very progressive companies. And I think that that's a sad truth that the rest of the world needs to catch up on. What I can say to people as a whole is that regardless of, you know, how behind the times or ahead of the times the company that you're working at is that you are entitled to set boundaries, right? If you are being paid to work a nine to five job, then you should work a nine to five job. Um, And when you go home, you need to turn your slack off or turn your life off and focus on your family, unless it's some emergency crazy situation, which should be a one-off thing. The same way, sometimes you have to miss work because there's an emergency one-off thing inside of your home and your work should understand that as well. So I think a lot of people succumb to pressure because they're in probably a a rough work environment, but they succumb to pressure about being available 24-7 which definitely perpetuates burnout. And I think it's critical at the very baseline level for people to set really hard lines in the sand of when they're home, that they're home. And when they're at work, they're at work and try their best to compartmentalize things. That is the barrier of entry for everybody. Um, The privileged people, I would say, you know, there's a lot of great companies out there that will try to accommodate family life. And if you have the right craft and skill and you are fortunate enough that you can apply and, and, and go work at that, those companies, then you should leverage your talent, and your flexibility to do that because there's no hard requirement to settle for a very small sliver um, out there. Yeah. And I think my hope is that more and more companies will recognize that their people are their greatest resource, whether it's 100%. a restaurant, whether 100%. it's like... A tech company, your people are your greatest resource. They they are the people who, you know, make up the company. So taking yeah. that step further, Harley, I, I think my greatest hope is that people start treating people as people. Mm-hmm. I think the baseline problem is that for some awful reason, I don't know why, we have created this very weird hierarchy in society where we just don't treat each other well. And there is baseline human decency that can go a really, really long way. I, I, it's weird that there is a lost art to being a kind person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, while I fall in line with your, your thinking in terms of I'm hopeful that the, in time, the world will catch up to what the world should be. But there's also more of a desperate cry that it's not super hard to be a kind human. Mm, and to yeah. be an understanding human and to not, be an empathetic human. Right. Yeah. And not to go off on an existential crisis, but why, why do you think that people may have lost that ability to like connect with each other's common humanity and just show some empathy and some kindness? You know, I think that there's, there's two lines of thought and neither one of them are great. One is that I think in time, People become jaded and they abandon their own moral compass because they say, well, this has happened to me, so this is okay. It it takes a lot of strength and courage to remain morally sound when bad things are happening to you. And so there's this very terrible network effect that it's like dominoes. Mm. So there's, there's an aspect of that. The second thing is that like fear and greed are cancer to society. 
And greed is very bad. Greed is not good. According, you know, Gordon Gecko's famous quote, the greed is good. It's like, the only thing I'm greedy for is more time with my kids because I'm going to die. And when I'm at the end of my life, my biggest wish will be that I have more time with them. Um, I highly doubt I'm going to be thinking about Maple at the end of my life or the million people I helped at Shopify or the million families that use Maple. I'm probably going to be like, I wish I could have one more day with my kids mm-hmm. or another lifetime with my kids. And I think for some reason, people lose sight of that. For the, you know, if we all were equally valuing what we should be greedy about, there'd be probably a deeper understanding but money is the root of all evil. Right. Yeah. It really is about reconnecting with what matters most and keeping that as your like compass. And you, you just made me think kindness is contagious, right? So the more kindness is kindness is contagious. And like, I think you just summarized my long winded bullshit answer, which is that honestly, like we, we have missed our society is not aligned on values. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually, we did a study at Consciously Unbiased with a company called Untapped AI that found that employee values are changing more quickly than company values. And so there's like mm-hmm. this mismatch. Totally. Like, totally. And employee activism is on the rise and people are, you know, willing to walk away if, the, you know, companies aren't supporting their values. So that just it made me think of that. But I did. I wanted to go back to, you know, you and I are both big fans of Eve Rotsky, um, Mm -hmm. the author of Fair Play. And so I interviewed her for a Forbes story about um, the time bias that was forcing Mm -hmm. women out of the workplace in the pandemic, where we value men's time over women's Mm -hmm. in both the workplace and at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And like an an example of this that that I think Eve used was that there's a there's a pay gap in 96% of occupations where women are paid less for the same jobs than men. And it's 2023. And the majority of caregiving duties still fall mostly on the majority on women's shoulders. So, you know, what what needs to shift? Like, how do we combat this time bias? And how is, you know, Maple stepping in to be part of this change? First and foremost, I think that our society has a lot of work to do. Well, most systems around the world have changed. I think we have taken a very societal legacy system and output, and we're trying to make that work in modern times. And the two things are just not working well together, right? There was a very long-standing way of thinking, let's say 3,000 years ago to 1950, which is that men are going to go and hunt and make the money, and women are going to stay home and take care of the kids. And there was that vision of what 50-50 looked like in terms of divide and conquer um, that just does not exist in today's world. But we want the rules to still apply in that way. So there has to be some acceptance that the world has changed, but our system of how we think about men and women has not. Um, the same way that the world has changed, but for some reason, we don't think of heterosexual versus homosexual or race as not. So there's a lot of problems at a societal level. Hmm. You know, Maple is a drop in the bucket compared to that. But our viewpoint is that, again, if we can be a company that is both grounded in equity and kindness and recognizing that the load at home is a partnership, the same way any company is a partnership, um, and that our tooling is really designed to make your company or your household more operable and more fair. You know, I think that we can go to bed at night very confidently saying that we are maybe the new age system. 
Mm. We are building, if we can continue to scale it out, and we're now doing a lot of different work with machine learning and AI and all kinds of different things to help navigate these complex, uneven, unbalanced issues at home. You know, one of which we have a big goal by the end of the year to actually externalize our data and show that simply the workload at home is not balanced Mm. and have a real-time live running report based on our data, based on participation, based on who's adding to-dos, based on who's marking things as complete, based on who's creating calendar events, based on who's... Like we actually have the direct insight of what balance looks like and the work that we have to do. So we're hoping that our system can replace legacy systems and bring people up to speed. But I think that there has to be an acceptance and a, and a recognition that Maple may just be one of many companies that's going to need to try to make an effort to fight and combat legacy systems. And also that men as a whole, the same way white privilege as a whole or heterosexual privilege as a whole, has to recognize that there's a real issue there and, and, and stop denying that there's an issue there. Yeah, I mean, the way to, you know, shift a pattern or overcome an issue is to first become aware of it. So I love that people is getting this data so that we can have some hard numbers to show that these inequalities, how they show up in, in every day. And I think, you know, there is no roadmap into how to divide responsibilities at at home. So we kind of default to these traditional gender norms, right? Male versus female. I did. I I wanted to bring something up because now I'm going down like a research rabbit hole, but I just interviewed this woman, um, Nina Simmons of Bioneers, and she challenged my idea of what of like history and gender roles throughout the ages. I want to watch this film. She said it's called Burning Times, but it was like a period in Europe for a couple hundred years where traditionally women had more money than men. Women were the healers, um, the the medicine women. And then women also, I, I don't know, controlled certain aspects, but then they were systematically prosecuted either, you know, depending on which historian you believe it was either 50,000 women or a couple million women. When the church came in and Mm -hmm. said, you know, you can't practice medicine without being educated, without a degree, and women were not allowed to go to college. So then the traditional role of women in their communities was systematically like broken down. And also, the relationship to God and spirituality, that very much fell in the realm of women. But when the Catholic Church came in and took over, it was priests. It was the Pope. Right, and it right. took the relationship between the divine and yourself to have like this, quote unquote, middleman. So I want to go back and research because I think there's this whole part of history that's like untold. I'm sure that is one amongst many things in history that is untold and being <laughs> erased a- from books. So. <laughs> Yeah, it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. I think that, you know, again, the the, the problem in almost most things, and this was actually a a personal conversation I just had with somebody is, you know, I think when you grow up, which I I grew up, I don't think it's fair to say poor, but I we didn't have money. When you start actually having financial means, you realize how much easier the world is when you have money. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel a deep obligation at like a human level to just expose and try to change how power is controlled. Because at the end of the day, most meaningful decisions are being made by white rich men. 
And I don't think until there's a, I don't know if that's necessarily be a changing of the guard, obviously more diversity, the better, more inclusion, the better, but we need more people who are essentially the right gatekeepers to equality. We need more people to fight for a fair chance and a better quality of life for the majority. And that really, in some soft way, kind of rounds up like how I look at my life work moving forward. I'm a white guy who started from a very humble beginning, who got really, really, really lucky. And I think that once you know the truth, once you really taste and feel and see how the world really works, it is kind of shameful to just go with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, And uh, that's really just where I'm at in life, to be honest with you. Whether that's the work I'm doing with Maple or the work my wife and I do together from a philanthropic perspective, or whether it's just helping a minority entrepreneur and angel investing or advising or giving free time or whatever it is. It's just that life is significantly easier in my seat. Mm. Well, it's important work. And I'm so happy that you're doing it. And, you know, if we all did a little bit of work in that direction, I feel like yeah. we could really move the needle uh, if we start showing up for each other more. Um, kindness. Yes, it all goes back to kindness. How do you and your wife divide responsibilities at home? Because I think it's helpful for other people to like look at look at couples and say, how do they do it? You know, I think that my wife and I got kind of really lucky to the extent. So I will answer that, but I have to give a roundabout way of answering it. And that is when I was building my company kit, we couldn't really raise any money. And my wife at that time, you know, she's the unspoken third co-founder of that company because she was doing breast cancer research and then waiting tables at nighttime simply to pay our server bills. And so at that moment, so early in our relationship, I just took a step back and was like, this woman and I are partners for life. We're just partners. You know, we're going to ride the success of everything together. We're going to ride the hardship of everything together. There is no credit where credit is due. We're a team. And when it came to having children and running our household, that was a foundational way of being like, there is no you versus me. There is no you're responsible for this and I'm responsible for this right? There's this aspect that, yeah, my wife is home with our children nine to five or whatever. I actually show up at work about eight o'clock and I leave work at, I guess I'll just give a rundown of our actual day. I, I show up at work at eight o'clock pretty much every single day. Some mornings it's 7.45, some mornings it's 8.15, but pretty much every day I'm started by 8 a.m. I work pretty much all the way through till 4 p.m. At 4 p.m. I'm either going and attending my son's karate class, or I'm going to my son's baseball practice to show up and be a father, the father he deserves to have. And then we go home together as a family and my wife and I share cooking responsibilities. So on any given day, she might be cooking dinner or I might be cooking dinner. I do bath time with both my boys every single night. And then we split the boys in half in terms of who's reading stories. I take my eldest son, she takes my youngest son, and we both put our boys to bed. And then we both collectively go down and we clean our house together every single day. I wash dishes, I take out the trash, I put toys away, and she's doing the inverse of those things as well. Most mornings, not every morning, but most mornings, I start my morning at 6am with both my kids. I wake up, I get my boys out of bed. I try to give my wife, if she can, a little extra rest because her days are more mentally demanding in terms of maintaining a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. And I spend some quality time with my sons and I cook my son's breakfast seven days a week. 
Um, but that's me making them this morning. I made my whole family scrambled eggs and cut up fresh fruit. And some days my wife packs my son's house for breakfast. Yeah. And, so, and some, <laughs> and some days my, most days my wife is making my son's lunches for school. And some days, cause I'm cooking breakfast, I'm making my son's lunches for school. And we just try to actually have a somewhat barometer on like, who's looking a little worn out mm-hmm. and just step in. Because I think that the root of our relationship is friendship. And I married somebody that I wanted to build a life with, not somebody that I wanted to work with for me as an employee. Mm, So we look at angel investments together. We look at real estate together. We we don't exclude somebody from the conversation. And what that's done is means that there isn't, you have a more important job. You're responsible for finances or you have a more important job because you're responsible for grocery shopping. It's like, we use Maple for everything. We have a shared grocery list. We have a shared calendar. She sees my work calendar. We have shared chores. We have a finance uh, plan in Maple. Like We use Maple to divide and conquer on absolutely everything. And we just have eroded this like expectation that because she's a woman, she should be changing diapers. And because I'm a man, I should be paying our bills. She pays most of our bills. And I deal with most of our angel investments. And we talk about both of those things. So... That's the best way I can answer that is just like, I, I, I just, sometimes it just blows my mind, specifically men. And I'm going to hopefully speak to the men who are listening to this. And I see it in my own friends, right? You stand on the altar, you marry somebody. And then for some reason you have kids and you just think like, I'm going to let this fucking person struggle. I'm going to let this person be exhausted. I'm going to let this person do everything. And life is just so much more rewarding when you do it together. Yeah. And I think there isn't really equal when you're raising kids and you're working. And it's not like someone can, you're never going to have that balance, right? Like it's sometimes someone gives more, someone, sometimes the other person gives more, but just, I so appreciate you saying that, Michael, like, yeah, you know, looking at someone and realizing that they're struggling because they're tens tired. Yeah, you're exhausted. Yeah. And, you know, and, and women still do pick up a lot of the caregiving duties in traditional, yep. you know, traditional partnerships. And I guess, I mean, you kind of just said it, but, you know, if we're talking about cisgendered heterosexual partnerships, what advice do you have for women on how to ask their partner for more help if their partner isn't getting it? If their partner isn't like you and saying, hey, I see you're really tired. What can I do? Well, every partnership I've ever had, business, our marital, our friendship, it's all rooted in conversation. Like, do you have the communication skills to be honest, right? And I think that um, there's an aspect of me that even when I'm frustrated in my marriage, I have to remind myself or sometimes remind my wife, like, we are partners in this. We need to show up for each other, right? And I am sure more times than not, it is a woman in a heterosexual relationship who is feeling the fatigue and the burnout and the inequality and the lack of support and the lack of empathy. I'm I'm positive of it. But I think that there's two sides to every coin, which is like men also need to be able to communicate that they need help. They're struggling. They don't know what to do. They need to step into the job a little bit better because unfortunately for most men, their fathers did not lead by good example. And so they're just kind of going through the system of life of like, well, this is how my dad did it. And using that as a really great alibi. And the conversation really has to be, we're in this together. We're a team. 
and our team isn't working very well right now. Yeah. And oftentimes, I, I'm sorry, not to interrupt you. I won the, and the, this is actually the million dollar question to corner somebody in, which is I always will say, do you think that we are doing well right now? Good one. <laughs> Just do you think that we are doing well right now? Because I want to realign with you. Because it creates a door. If someone's like, yeah, I think we're doing great. Why? Well, um, let's see, because I'm holding on by a thread and our company is not doing well right now. Not me, not you, but the output of our team. I always, 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 always bring it back to our team. Mm, yeah. Because our output is the combination of the two of us, not you versus you, are you and you. It's that our output is us. And if my wife's not looking well, doing well, feeling well, or vice versa, I'm dealing with, we aren't doing well right now. Yeah, because you're interconnected and, and what one. happens with one impacts exactly. the other. So you're not separate. <laughs> exactly. And so for some reason, I think that the problem is, is that most people approach this conversation with you versus me, or it's a blame situation and says, you're not doing this. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. I'm this. I'm this. I'm this. I'm this. Where it says, we aren't doing well is a very different statement. Mm, yeah. How would you like to help us do better? <laughs> Yeah, shifts the whole conversation and the it shifts the whole conversation. So, I mean, that would be my advice to people: is just start referring to your relationship as us versus you versus me, and that in itself might surprise a lot of people because for a lot of men who aren't getting it, it might turn on a light bulb. It's like, oh shit, I thought we were doing fine because I'm doing fine. Right. Right. I love the way that you just approach that because in our consciously unbiased trainings, we always talk about if you put people in a defensive, they're yes. going to go into fight, flight, or freeze, yes. they're shut down, they're not going to be open yes. to hearing you. So yes. how, how do you reframe it and put people in a place where they're not shutting down? They're not feeling like they have to defend themselves. So you'll get the conversation will go completely differently. So differently when you're just like, how do you think we are doing? Because I want to make sure we're aligned on that. Yeah. Yeah. I love and it. And if someone's like, I think we're doing great. And you're like, I don't know if we are doing great right now. Can we talk about it? People might be like, okay, why aren't we doing great right now? Mm. Because again, it keeps saying we. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just find that like, unfortunately, a lot of the movement that is taking place right now, which is good. The conversations are good. Is that it's so rooted in man versus woman. Mm -hmm. And when you start saying black versus white, man versus woman, the person who's in the superior position gets super defensive because they have to acknowledge that they have done something wrong and no one wants to acknowledge that they have done something wrong. Right. Right. They don't want to acknowledge that there's an advantage for them mm -hmm. because people like to feel like I worked hard to get here. I'm, I'm doing my best. There's no advantage. Mm -hmm. But when you start saying we as a society aren't kind, we as a society have Areas of opportunity to improve. We as a couple aren't doing super great. We as a household aren't operating well. Mm -hmm. And everyone who's involved in that might have to take a step back and say, well, what could we be doing differently? Not what could I be doing differently? What could we be doing differently? And it's just like such an easy change in language and saying we're a team and our team is not winning right now. Mm. Yeah, that was my next question for you. What's a micro progression or small action step that we can do to help create more equity? And that's small change. We, you're right. We. Because what happens to one of us 
ultimately impacts all of us, even if we don't see it. And especially in a marriage, especially in a partnership, but also in a workplace, also in our communities. So, yep. And this is why, not to bring it back to Maple, because it doesn't really actually matter, but one of the biggest mistakes we made was that early on, when you added something that needed to be done for the house, it automatically assigned that work to you. Mm. One of the things we changed that anyone can add something to Maple and it assigns it to nobody. It's just like, we have to get this done. Love it's it. exposing the volume of work that has to take place and not any one person is responsible for it, but that the people connected to that work, the team of people connected to that work, they are responsible for it. So it's just these little shifts, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and so, Michael, where can people go to get Maple and use it? Well, you can go to growmaple.com. But you can also search, I believe, Maple in the App Store. We are now available in the US, Canada, the UK, Ireland, New Zealand, Australia, and hopefully soon going to be available in Germany and in Switzerland, probably within the next month or so. You're going um, global. That's awesome. Yeah, because to be honest with you, like we, we, our product has got, gotten quite good. And we are seeing some really great results. And if we can help more people and more households just get organized together, you know, there's something so powerful in together. Um, it's really hard to move things on your own, but together is a very powerful place to be. We just want to have our impact in a positive way as many places as possible. You can learn more about our guests and get show notes at consciouslyunbiased.com slash listen. And we want to hear from you. Please subscribe and rate Breaking the Bias on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And drop us a note to let us know if there is a topic you really want to hear about or a guest you want to have on the show. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Bias. 